Hi, I'm Pat Foran. Welcome to Get Labeled Indie Music Roadmap, a podcast for working indie artists, aspiring music artists, and fans. Each week, I interview a different guest who has a proven track record in the biz or related field. I talk with producers, promoters, audio engineers, managers, songwriters, bands, social media experts, veteran and novice artists too, about their experiences and recommendations. I'll get answers to some of the hows and whys of today's music business, which you will find invaluable in navigating the chaotic world of today's music industry. Today's guest is Colin Wolf of Smooth Retsina Glow. Let's get going. Colin, I presume? Yes, I am. <laughs> Very much so. I appreciate the uh, appreciate you coming on and um I'll take any time. So oh, pleasure for having me. So <laughs> music, you know? just good. Um Yeah, so um your the name of your band is Smooth, Smooth Ritzina Glow. Ritzina. Ritzina Glow. Okay. Smooth yes. Ritzina Glow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um and what is that? Do you have a spe- does that have a special meaning or yeah, just- Ritzina is just a uh, a liquor. It's a like a Mediterranean oh. wine. Usually okay. of Greek origin that we got okay. uh, Dan's song Home at Last from their record Asia, which uh, your viewers probably know out there. And, um, you know, when we came up with the group about four years ago, uh, we just needed something for a, a certain initial that we were trying to go for. And we just plugged it in. And now it's been stuck with us ever since. <laughs> I guess it was too late in 2019. So we just sat, like, as you see on our pages, it's Smooth Ritzina Glow SRG. SRG, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess there is a bit of a correlation that you could just type in SRG and then you'll get hooked up with all of our pages. And, you know, XTC is a big influence for me as a writer and musician. So I guess there's another correlation in that regard that uh, you can think of it as an acronym. <laughs> but, um, yeah. No, well, it's just interesting. Um, it definitely um, stands out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, the name. So that's good. It's not, you know, a run of the mill name. Yeah. I mean, it's like, um, an immortal orchestra or King Gizzard or Quicksilver uh, messenger service or some other like ostentatiously named rock band or something like that. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's tough coming up with names these days more and more because you think that everything's just been exhausted, but eventually I think, uh, just about any artist or group, if they really put their, mind to it they can stumble on something that's uh, a little less off the beaten path in terms of its name and occasionally that means you just borrow from an artist like uh you know we did with steely dan in a way uh you know steely dan got their name from a william f burroughs novel so uh i guess uh the moral is just steal and just be creative with how you uh disguise it a little bit because <laughs> it's all borrowed just a little bit you know and everything ultimately i guess um yeah, well, I, I I go by my name, so it's mine was real easy to come up with. <laughs> Good for you, you know, you're soul. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, if people can pronounce it properly or not. We are in the process yeah. of getting like a banner made up. Uh, hopefully, it'll be up uh, relatively soon where we can just have it. Because even though I do like in introducing us as a group, I'm uh, like at the end of each set, I'll just say. We are Smooth with Scene and Glow. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, Deezer, Napster, 
and all those other uh, sites just to, you know, get the word out. But um, it does make a, if you have both an audio and a visual means of presentation, you'll get the best of both worlds when you're trying to get your name more and more out there. Because more often than not, in a, at a bar, people aren't really going to pick it up unless they uh, talk to you during break time or something like that. Yeah. Well, Same, it's fewer. I mean, the name, a name. People have always, you know, the whole time I've ever been in music since I was eleven, or mm -hmm. maybe started paying attention to music when I was younger. I've yeah, always yeah. heard, "Oh, great name!" You know, the band is popular because of the name, and it's like I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's because of the the music and uh -huh. um it just so happens that they picked a name that you know f you know um rolls off the tongue or mm -hmm. um is funny or you know something about the name but that's not I don't think that's the most important thing so yeah, yeah. it's, it's an interesting topic for uh, sure but people always oh you have to come up with a catchy name and this and that and it's like well you know i think i really think in my heart of hearts that the music makes the band not the name it just oh you mean the band like robbie robertson levon helm rick danko that whole group <laughs> love them i mean they're i've always loved, loved the Walt, lots waltz growing up and i just finally finished uh, reading robbie robertson's autobiography which took a while <laughs> It's a good read, but I also recommend if anyone ever takes a testimony or I think that's what it's called, that you just take it in chunks because it's about 500 pages where he's detailing every uh, celebrity he's ever met with. And he only goes up to the last waltz and then he stops right there. He doesn't talk about anything else. And <laughs> that was back in 2016. So hopefully he'll be due for an install of updates. <laughs> it's like, okay, but he's done stuff. Um, and Well, yeah. if you took a name like... Um, well, like Pearl Jam. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what does that mean? And then, you know, when they explained that it was um, the singer's grandmother reference that yeah. about her, the, you know, the jam that she used to make. Yeah. I yeah. what kind of jam it was, but her name was Pearl. So it was really Pearl's Jam and Pearl Jam. Yeah. So they named it Pearl Jam. Yeah. I think uh, the, the reason Deep Purple uh, got their name was uh, Richie Blackmore's. I think it may have been his grandmother. I think it was his grandmother, like the old jazz standard Deep Purple from way back when. And when they were trying to get names in 68, he just put it in. And now it's been stuck with them ever since he left. <laughs> both times. Yeah. So technically, I'm surprised he hasn't tried to sue for ownership of the name since he technically <laughs> them. And I'm not going to go into what I think of Blackmore at, before or after Deep Purple. Uh, but I mean, I, I could, but you know, I'll, I'll probably let some controversy here or there. Even though well, I, I think that's a, I think that's a different discussion that I like to have sometimes. Is about music sure, yeah. and, and evolution and and changes from just in the bands. Like um, usually, I'll touch on it, like um, or mention it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of my favorite, not everyone, but a lot of my favorite bands. Well, just about every every band that I've ever listened to they'll change something from album to album. It could be the third album or the fourth album, mm -hmm. but sure. they'll usually depart from whatever they were doing in the beginning, which brought their fans in. And um, so there's a couple of threads on this. One is um, possible threads. One is um, artistic 
development. Um, and, you know, if you have multiple people writing songs in the, well, let's, let's take it. Let's, let's say we have one person writing. Like me. So, I do so, that for What's that? That like me, I do that for a uh, smooth Racina I write all the music. I write the songs uh, and I have done for the past three records, soon to be fourth record. So, so I mean, if you had a, if you had a hit album, mm-hmm. um, you know, not necessarily a Grammy, but like a hundred thousand, you sold a hundred thousand copies or whatever the equivalent equivalent of that would be today. Right. I'm not sure with streaming, but yeah. um, so you, you know, you make it, you make a splash, you make a big splash. Mm-hmm. And then, so people like, you know, you're gaining tons of fans, like everywhere you go, your tour, like you're on, you're, you're really on fire, you know, you're picking up fans, selling merch, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, next thing you know is, you know, you have to have another album out, you know, when you come off the tour, you know, if you're signed with the label, you know, they're pressuring you to work on, you know, get in the studio and do your next album. Yeah. And, um, you know, as you know, as a songwriter, um, you write, um, I think I was watching a show where the guy was a a music critic or used to be a music critic. Like mm-hmm. I think he was in the nineties and like early two thousands. So he was in the Seattle area. It was based in Seattle. The, the show was based in Seattle. And so he was talking about all these bands that came up, you know, um, out of Seattle and I forget which one he referenced, but um, he mentioned one band that, uh, did their first album and then, and then their second album flopped. So their first album was a huge hit. Their second album was a flop. He said, well, you know, you have your whole, whole life to write your first album, but you have six months to write your second album. I've heard that quote before. <laughs> so, so that's either hit or miss. Like you'll either have an album like Disraeli gears by cream, which is beloved as one of their best records, or you'll have an album like communicate by dire straits, which doesn't quite get the same amount of attention as the first record does, even though I, I think it's a very, very good record. Uh, or I think the Jam's second record was a little uh, undervalued. XTC's second record also didn't quite have the, uh, even though the first record really wasn't a, a splash, but it, it still did fairly well for uh, the more uh, punk market it was targeting back then. And you could also make the case for Celia Dan's second record in the sense that even though it, I guess for a connoisseur's listener, it's enjoyable to listen to. It doesn't. What well, totally was uh, Steely Dan? Was that Pretzel Logic? No, that was Countdown to Ecstasy. Pretzel Logic was the third. Countdown to Ecstasy was their second album? No. Uh, yes, Countdown's the second and Can't Buy a Thrill first. What was the first one? Can't Buy a Thrill. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Along with the, uh, the very uh, weird art of like a street scene or something like that. Yeah, I was. Um, In pans. <laughs> well, when I listened to steely dan or part of the time was i was into jazz yeah and my i was in college or whatever and my roommates were into jazz we were going to a jazz school so yeah same here um when we were listening to that we were i was listening to it differently than i would have from the pop uh pop viewpoint i was mm-hmm. listening to it from a musical more musical viewpoint like a jazz um, versus so in other words, but basically it didn't matter how many copies it sold. It was like we were listening to the musicianship in it. Yeah. Versus, I mean, it's, um, I versus think commercial it's appeal. 
Yeah, Joni Mitchell said something like uh, along the lines that towards the end of his career, Marvin Gaye was moving from the hit department into the art department. You can really hear that on those last couple of records uh, that he put out. Um, it's, you mentioned that about Steely Dan because in their early days, like we're talking Camp by, by, by a Thrill, uh, Countdown or Pretzel Logic, they always say that they're more pop oriented, even though if you listen to those from a musician's perspective, they some of the songs have some more extended harmonies or key changes that you really wouldn't find on a, a top 40 radio today, which is kind of unfortunate yeah. to see where uh, we're at as far as um, some uh, areas of listening are, but, uh, you know, I think to address that point that you had earlier, it's um, when you're listening to that album, you're, you are those records, you are definitely listening to them from an intellectual standpoint, but at the same yeah, time, I mean, they um, have good lyrics and melodies to facilitate those things. Cause if it's just sophistication for the sake of it, it's really not going to appease anybody apart from probably who wrote it. You know, your musicians might not enjoy it as much. Uh, and if, you know, you aren't selling it or connecting with people out live, it's, you know, kind of an exercise in futility. Okay. But let's, let's, um, let's, let's uh, rewind a little bit. Okay. Let's like, um, let's dial, let's dial back to the seventies. Okay. When that album came out, right. Mm -hmm. um, those, those albums and um, things were different back then. Right. So they had platforms to present their music. Um, there was a uh, FM stations like um, non-commercial. Um, they play a whole album. If not, you know, if not that um, they'd play a side, you know, one side, like the A side or the B side. Yeah. Um, I remember, I mean, I remember early on cause I was young. I just remember like hearing the whole, a al whole album. Um, and for some reason we had time <laughs> to listen to a whole album back then. It was mm -hmm. like a lot different, you know, today it's like, what can you show me in 30 seconds? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. It's uh, you got to nail it in those first 30 seconds <laughs> or else somebody's just going to hit this skip button on Spotify. So, so I'm just saying that I think we have to think about um, for argument's sake, we have to think about, the time period and how it stands today, you know, in, in a, in a record label um, or music um, or let's say a music genre, mm -hmm. like what kind of genre would it be? I mean, you know, you're, you're mentioning that sort of. And um, so, you know, I don't know where it would fit today, but um, some of it's, you know, some of it would fit in certain um, slots, but um, I think they were more of a, they, they, they wrote better arrangements than they wrote songs. I think, I don't think they were songwriters as much as they were arrangers, you know, with that music. Yeah. Okay. Um, because the songs, so that's, that goes along with the pop thing. Mm -hmm. So if you want to write a pop song, well, I mean, um, do it again. Might, you know, that was pop, but, Reeling in the years, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other. My old school. My old school. To an extent, yeah. Um, uh, and then they had some really cool, like uh, King Charlemagne. That was like one yeah. of my favorite albums. Love it, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite Royal songs Scam. from that that album. I forget the name of the album. Royal Scam. Royal Scam, yeah. Great record. <laughs> um, but um, 
and again, it was, you know, Larry Carlton on the guitar. So, I mean, mm-hmm. they had all these, you know, they always had great, killer musicians, you know, even back to the early days, like when they had Jeff yeah. Baxter on guitar and, uh, well, I eventually saw skunk Baxter with, uh, the Doobie brothers. Oh yes. Yes. Uh, I think McDonald's on. was with them. Yeah. Had joined them. And we were up and I was up, I went to school in Western Pennsylvania for a couple of years and college. And, um, we went to the Erie County Fieldhouse, mm-hmm. and when McDonald hit some of the notes on his organ, the keyboard, it shook the whole freaking building. It was so loud, right. it was a, like you could feel it coming up through your feet, the mm-hmm. vibration, you know. Yeah. Um, so that I one thing I could say is they were loud, <laughs> you know. Um, live. Uh, so, um, so that's another thing, like. So, so yeah, now I'm talking about Mike McDonald, but let's hold off on that. But, um, but yeah, um, so the point being, uh, my, my original point being, uh, um, like you, like if, if you're, we talked about you as a sole songwriter in your band, like, so like you're writing, like you're really into this pop realm and you're like, you know, whatever you got into, um, Mm. and you know, for your first album and then I didn't listen to your whole album. so. Okay, I have them all this right. This is just this is just uh this is just a um all three right here. This is just for example mm-hmm. sake. So I'm, Okay, it's uh, interesting cuz now uh you know SRG as of April 13th will have been together 4 years. We've had four different lineups. I'm the only original remaining member for uh, various reasons and uh it originally more metamorphosized out of a uh like a folk blues band I was in previously with two of the other members. uh, And uh, we had this one person we were working with who really wasn't cutting it as a musician. So he quit before we were to play this big show somewhere. And for a couple of months, it was just the three of us and this one former student of mine named Jacob Wolf, who I'm not related to because he spells his wolf with an E at the end. And, um, Around this time, about four years ago, he reached out to us and said that if we continued using his name, he was going to sue us basically for nothing and shut down all of our pages in the process. So we just basically figured, let's just leave him with the name and uh, we'll take the old name, which had an SRG initial and just rebrand it. And that's how he became smooth with Cena Globa. The first record, this one here, New Frontiers, is pretty much a continuation of what that second that older group would have done had we stuck together. It's more uh, sort of, I would say, folk, Americana, blues inspired, although there are a couple um, things that are a little, a bit of a deviation that we had. Then, of course, next year was when COVID hit and the two other members left for uh, various reasons. And uh, I rebranded it with our current uh, co-female vocalist, Sarah, and we recorded this record. Uh, which produced one uh, pretty, if you, like you were mentioning the word pop, I would say that the song Memories Made, which also has a music video, is uh, still one of our strongest songs. Uh, we still play that live uh, continuously in the set. And uh, it also got a pretty cool number one over in Australia on an indie radio station, which has since featured us uh, subsequently. So this came out about... Uh, two years ago now, which seems like a while ago, and we got our current drummer. Uh, For this record, we just used a uh, filler sub for a friend of mine to just do these tracks. 
And we got our current drummer on this record. Uh, Sarah, our co-vocalist, took a leave for college, which she shouldn't have done. But that's what I, that's just me. And uh, I think this is definitely when we established our sort of indie rock pop sound, because the first two records uh, may have been just a little too diverse, just because we weren't, I wasn't quite sure where we were going to go stylistically. Also, I was learning how to sing for the first time or be a lead singer in the sense that I'm going to do three hours and uh, take the bulk of the singing on, which uh, wasn't easy, even though it was easy to learn material to sing live, but to, you know, replicate it night after night was a, a little tough at times, but uh, the 10,000 yeah. hour rule certainly. It's a, long, it's a lot of singing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, especially the past year when Sarah was away at college, I had to do all the vocals and, you know, some of the workload was just strenuous. Like if we had six shows one week and I had to do, you know, three hour or two hour sets at, after it over and over again, it, it can get a little grueling, even though uh, I'm glad I've done it. But it's good that she's back now because I can, I don't feel as hoarse in the morning after. <laughs> so, um, uh, to your, your the question again, what was it? I'm sorry. I got a bit sidetracked. I was just making the point that um, we were talking about uh, this kind of drift mm -hmm. from the original. <clears throat> oh, um, yes. Okay. Thank you. So, yeah, it has drifted over a period of time. Well, but I like I'm just it. talking. I'm just talking in general. So I'm not really, I'm not making a point of your music. I'm, okay. I'm just talking about um, um, how bands will have, have like a big splash mm -hmm. of popularity and then they'll maybe with their second album i mean it's happened a number of times we we may have pointed a couple of those out their second album is like you know a disappointment it's a mm -hmm. letdown but maybe you know the person the songwriter if there's like one songwriter maybe that person was like hey i'm i feel like i'm really reaching my artistic um Good point. I, you know, to this point, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I'm growing and I, but, you know, the record company doesn't want to hear that and, you know, they want to see sales. So they drop, they get dropped or they, you know, they have issues with the record company. Um, and then they, you know, they probably will lose fans. Um, I mean, my greater point being um, that, you know, it's hard. Number one, it's hard to get signed and get, you know, get that kind of deal in the first place and get that kind of popularity. Um, and, and then and in, in the old days, it would be like, you know, sell the indies were like an indie um, label from what I understand, um, from what I've spoken to a lot of people about um, in the, in the business would say something like, you know, if you could sell 10,000 albums, then an in, indie label would be interested in you. And then I heard later, if you could sell 10,000 albums that a major would be interested in you, mm -hmm. in your band, you know? So, um, but that's a lot of albums to sell, you know? Um, but I'm saying like to get to that point and have that success, you've built all that goodwill up with you and your fans and you and the record company. And then, um, you know, you, the artistic side changes or cannot really keep up with, with what was being done before. There's other stories where the record company, you know, they have somebody like a producer working with the band and then they change them mm -hmm. and they don't let them record what they want to do or they don't. Um, after you're done with your recording, like if you record 10 to 15 songs, 
you know, you have a sit down or um, conference or whatever, where, you know, you're kind of deciding what's going to be on the album or maybe multiple conferences. I'm sure it's not just one way, but um, you know, the producer might say, Oh, you know, that song is no good. You know, we, we're going to kick that out. I want this song. And you're like, no, I don't want that song. That song. We don't like that song. Um, One example of that would be the romantics. um, What I like about you. That song was a B side and that was their biggest hit. Um, It was a B side. I think I read that they didn't even want it on the album, the, the record company or the producer or somebody didn't want it. And they said they got them to, leave it and put it on the B side, but they wanted that to be their A side an A side song. And, and for those who don't know what a side B side is, if you look at an LP, the old days, the old vinyl, <laughs> you had an A side and a B side because you couldn't fit all the songs on one side of the album. Like you can with a CD. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, they would put the best songs on the A side or what was considered to be the best sides. And then, and then actually the B side was like more artistic um right it was more like more leftovers that were maybe good songs but they weren't going to be used as singles and so the inside would be music that was potentially a single release and that's what we that's what we're into today we're today we're into singles like we release singles for streaming Yeah, but it's only one single now. Like, you, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen an artist do a B side live. Like, they'll have an A side and a B side for the um, what's the word I'm looking for for that single release, just because. So uh, today it would be probably be streams. So if you yeah. had a hundred thousand, I think that's where the EP is starting to take off a little bit. Like they'll have like two singles out, and they'll have three throw away if you want to use that word or more experimental tracks that just uh are used for the ep's um continuity yeah it's you're you're writing songs and and um you know not you know you're not every song is going to be potential a potential hit you know Mm -hmm. i mean you're going to have songs that are just like um sing along um you know for instance like just something to sing along and it's just kind of a fun song but it's not your pick for, you know, your, your, a major release. You know what I mean? It's like you said, it's part of the package. Right. Um, and there's, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that or like with Steely Dan doing, you know, not really focusing on, and I don't know what they were doing. I mean, I haven't really read too much about them from their perspective. I just read other people's opinions about what they thought they were doing or, you know, so in other words, they weren't really, they weren't, it wasn't considered like a Billy Joel, like a Billy Joel was a songwriter. Mm-hmm. He was writing songs for, um, to, to sell. And, um, Steely Dan was kind of like writing albums and because you could back then, um, probably writing albums and like just, you know, doing their thing. Like that's what they did and they presented it and it was good. I mean, I like it. I mean, you know, not everyone's going to like your music. Yeah. yeah right? That's right. So there's always going to be somebody out there who doesn't like it, but there, you know, generally, and especially with the World Wide web, you know, um, you have access to, you know, millions of people and, yeah. 
to ears, you know, millions, millions of sets of ears, somebody out there is probably going to like what you do. If you do a pretty good job, they're probably going to like it. Yeah. And uh, I, I think the most people will be able to listen to it and they'll say, even if it's not something they prefer, they'll be able to know that if it's well written, well produced and well played that, you know, it's probably going to have a niche sooner, if not later, you know, unless it's something that's just totally, uh, off the wall just for the sake of it being done, you know? Uh, well, one of the things that I tried to do um, since I first started writing songs, I tried to make something a little bit different. Um, yeah. I didn't want to just come out and write, you know, or rewrite, um, do, you know, copy a song. Um, so, I mean, I studied music. It sounds like you studied music. Yeah, I went to Concepcion University. I did my four years of music at school that way back when, 2011, um, 2015. So, well, I wanted to know how music worked and put it together, and and uh, I, I wanted to write songs. That's basically I didn't want to sing. I'm a guitarist. I wanted to play guitar. I was a lead guitar player. I wanted to play lead guitar, mm-hmm. and that was the most important thing to me. Like I mentioned, um, I mentioned like just about every podcast. Like when I was younger, it was like. If a song didn't have a guitar solo in it, then it was no good. <laughs> song was no good. So, um, you know, I, you know, had a strong bias towards the guitar and guitar music. And uh, I still like that, but I, I am like kind of into pop. I do like pop music. And so you mentioned indie. So I real, I, I'm really into like indie music um, and have been for a number of years, probably before it was considered indie um, as such as, as it is today. Um, but, um, you know, the, the greater point of the songwriting, um, and, you know, doing your first album and then hopefully coming up with another album that will sell and some bands don't, um, unfortunately, um, even bands, you know, that, that are great, have a great first album, the second album doesn't cut through. Um, but let's say we took, um, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin, um, you know, they were kind of like an underground band, um, even though they were assigned to Atlantic records, um, they weren't really considered mainstream. They Mm -hmm. were hard rock, which is be like heavy metal today. So, but some of the things that that they did, um, along the songwriting lines was, I mean, they changed albums. Like they first two albums were kind of heavy. But they had acoustic Three. songs in there. Yeah, like Black Mountain Side or the intro, intro to Ramble On or Your Time's Gonna yeah, Come. Yeah, Ramble On. And you suppose that along, Communication Breakdown. Or and then the third album was completely... Absolutely. Not completely acoustic, half rock. Mostly you have acoustic. that on the tiles. You have That's the Way. You have Hats Off to Roy Harper. Yeah, so there's this like folk thing. Yeah, it is. Um, or like English, I guess English folk. Yeah, English folk is a like Fairport Convention or like the late seventies Jethro Tull or um, yeah, uh, certain p- phases of Dire Straits. I guess you think of magical or there's a medieval yeah. kind of type of yeah. It's not American folk. It's like a no. very. It's a much more. There's a bit of sophistication into those. Uh, I guess more indigenous forms of folk music, if you want to think of it like that, because they have certain time signatures that usually aren't as prevalent in a western american culture as there is in uh you know even yeah well our american music there's a lot of it's folky but there's like this bluegrass thing there's the and a country thing 
Oh yeah. Kind of somehow it's all like yeah, the country influence is very prevalent in the, the uh, folk music of America. If you want to. Yeah. And it was, it was in rock too. Like in the early rock days, um, it, you, it wouldn't be unusual. Even if you listen to grateful dead, I mean, you hear country in that yeah. and they were, they were a city band from San Francisco. Right. I mean, um, but that that whole thing really didn't become more of a prevalent part of their sound until Working Man's Dead because the first three records are pretty. Uh, well, in the first, in the like, yeah, in the beginning, like in the anthem of the sun or Oxamoxa. In the mid, Definitely. that would have been '67. They put out their first record. Uh, but. So then there was the you know the southern rock thing in the '70s, and then there was country rock, and mix, you know. Um, and then today you have country music. A lot of country music is more like Southern rock than it is like country. So um, stuff. Yeah. But I mean, definitely it was out like, um, metal. I mean, it was not country and, uh, you know, in the eighties, um, it kind of, kind of went back to this kind of, um, real rock, pure, like, like a pure rock kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, versus, uh, um, like, a, I don't want to say urban rock, but a, um, it wasn't as loose, you know, with, right. uh, country, um, with the country kind of feel on it, um, mm-hmm. or solos. Um, I can't, I wish I could think of a few examples, but, um, I would say Led Zeppelin, excuse me, not Led Zeppelin, Eddie Van Halen, like, um, Van Halen. I don't remember if he did any kind of country. Finish what you started with Sammy Hagar. That was that's the closest to country, if you want to consider it that, even though it's. Yeah, it's well, that, when, when Hagar came in, then it, they really changed the dynamic of that band. So. Yeah, I, I actually don't mind the Hagar years as much as uh, some people might say. I mean, uh, when he was still alive, I would have said I would have seen Van Hagar over Van Halen. <laughs> David Lee Roth is uh, sadly a pale shadow of his former self. Yeah. <laughs> He's still doing anything. Well, I mean, the early stuff. He's incredible. Um, was like pure, more pure rock. And it was raw. It was like a lot more raw. Mm-hmm. And I like that, you know, that's to me. And I think that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like, it's more like, like you, if you did jazz, you could say straight ahead jazz. This was more like straight ahead rock. Yeah. But with the eighties, with all the eighties, um, electronics and yeah, you know, whatever yeah. Van Halen came up with. Yeah for his guitar and his amps and stuff. He, he did some pretty cool things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so anyway, so, so yeah, I mean, there's another point. I mean, they changed, I mean, mm-hmm. they were changing even with David Lee Roth, like they did jump, they put keyboards in. I was like, what are they doing? You know? And, and what was that? That was like Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Songwriter doing his thing, like following his instincts, you know? Yeah. So, um, and, and then the other, so the, that was one thread. The one thread was the artistic side. The second thread for songwriting and having a band and, um, trying to maintain your, your bond between your audience and, you know, and, and the band, um, this agreement, you know, it's like, oh, this is what we want. And then they change and it's like, ah, you know, what are they doing? Um, can't, you don't even buy, I'm not, I can't even buy that. Can't listen to it. Um, the second or third album, whatever. Um, so with, um, 
with uh, Van Halen, like I said, Van Halen with the keyboards. Who, what else did I say? I think I mentioned. Uh, you were mentioning about uh, just bands changing with the uh, time yeah. and years, and uh, you know, introducing different. Uh, yeah, I'm almost done with this. So I just want to, <laughs> I just want to follow yeah. through with this. Um, uh, I mean, let me see. Who it's like we... a it's like a bond. You know, what I mean, like you're like, you know, come along. Like this is what we do. Like Kiss. Like if Kiss yeah. stopped um, doing their shows. They're like, hey, no more makeup, you know, we're going, which eventually I think they did. They may have. I don't remember. But yeah. I was not a Kiss fan, but I like. Same here. I'm, I'm sorry. I have one fan who, uh, we have one fan, I should say, who comes out to our shows quite a lot. And he was talking about how he was going to see Ace Freely. And I'm just doing my best not to hide my complete <laughs> amusement where it's like, oh, okay, cool. Um, like, you mentioned one of the least exciting musicians. I, I mean, I respect <laughs> the fact that they made it, but I was always a little more uh, progressive, if you will, with uh, how I, my music tastes were growing up. Even though well, I, that's I, a that's a whole other it is the aspect, show. right? Yeah. I mean, it's what we're talking about, really. But they go around in very small circles, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what, what was I saying? The first part was artistic. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then the second part was monetary. Right. So then you get the other band, and again they change. But I mentioned that I think I mentioned in the last episode. Um, you know, a band, and and I've heard this from rockers or not rockers, but pop successful pop artists who would say something like, "Oh well, you know, for the first time we could afford a car and a house, and I can feed my family." Yeah. You know, with with comfort, you know, and they're like, "We like that." So, you know, whatever that one song, uh, you know, that aberration of success, like a, a super hit that they didn't really intend to write, all of a sudden they're like shooting for that again. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you get this. And I, you know, I write all kinds of music. And I always say, like, if if my 16-year-old self knew what I, what kind of music I was writing today, you know, I would like, I would have lost it, you know, <laughs> like. Because yeah. it's so different than what I had originally started out doing. Yeah, it's interesting because when I think if you had told me, because like I mean, I'm not, I'm exactly half of fifteen. I'm not sick. I mean, if you told the fifteen uh, me I'm thirty now that I'd be doing indie rock, I would have thought, oh, you so you're doing like REM stuff, which are the least for me anyway, the appealing of the that style of music. But at the same time. Uh, I think there's a certain correlation about what I listened to musically growing up in the sense that, uh, yeah, a lot of the music I listened to had a, was diverse to a certain extent. And uh, even if it wasn't, say, jazz or fusion or classical music or prog, to use that label, there was always a certain progressiveness with uh, certain uh, musical characteristics like time signatures, keys, uh, harmonic movement and things like that. So, uh, which are, which are interesting to musicians. <laughs> no, you can use the, those devices as well. You know, Zappa made a career out of it as did. James. Well, I know, but I think he, he was out at a time that you could do that. There's still bad art. I guess there is. You could still, still have bands, but I don't think you're going to come up with uh I don't think you're going to have the same kind of success. Taylor Swift did uh, two songs and five on her uh, folklore record back in 2020s. And uh, that's no. Taylor Swift. I'm talking yeah. about making, I'm talking about doing like a Zappa-esque kind of thing. 
Now, yeah, you mean like uh, I don't think concept records, unfortunately, are going to exactly anytime soon. As much as I yeah. want it, it's just for now the it's just a thing of the past. Right. I mean, right I now, these- you know, I think we're in a a good. I think we're in a good space, um, musically. Yeah. The business side is what's messed up. You know, it, right now it's in flux. It's transitioning. It's evolving. Yeah. And, um, so that's kind of what you know, like every musician is trying to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Taylor Swift. I mean, I don't know if she's lost money, um, but she's still like probably like the number one selling artist or one of the number one, one of the top yeah, selling artists. Yeah, I would say so. Um, so we'll buy CDs of anymore at this point, and or maybe who knows. So what? So what I would feel like when when an artist did that, they're like they're like going for the money. They're going like more pop, I, I suppose, is what I'm getting at. And then you kind of feel like, oh, they're watering things down. Like it's just, you know, a shiny, happy song or a, you know, a shiny love song, mm-hmm. you know, romance, romantic song. And it's not, you know, there isn't a lot of meat on that. You know, it's like all candy. It's all icing and, you know, sugary um, Embellishing. coverings and not, you know, what's, you know, there's no good cake in the you know underneath of it or or whatever there might be you know there's no good filling like it's hollow so to speak and now again that's very critical of me saying that but that's the way i would feel and you know now i probably understand that a lot better but i still try to if i find myself going down that road i might write i'll write something but then you know, if I can, I might, you know, do something a little different with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't really have an example I could give you right now, but, um, you know, so, I mean, those are like the kind of things that we're, we're looking for, like artistic merit. If you're a songwriter, right. You want that, right. I mean, mm-hmm. that's one of your goals, right. To get better and better and better. Like my thing has always been, it's always a moving target or at least it's a level I never get to where I can write songs faster and I think I write better songs today, but I'm never like totally happy with like to sit on something and go, Oh, this is the best work that I'll ever do. You know? It's always like, eh, I could do better and I hear something else that I want to work on, you know? So, um, so that, that's what I wanted to say. And I think it's never finished, only abandoned, you know? So yeah, I think the way that I've looked at it is, uh, you know, you have to accept how you enjoy it in the process and then you just leave it right there and uh, you write the next song and hopefully this yeah, well, one really own it. So one speak. of the main aspects of that as you're writing a song and getting ready to produce the song and recording a song is time. So oh. you can't take 10 years to finish your song, you know? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good good thing into itself though because, yeah, you know, sometimes you can come up with a... Uh, something that's very good for whatever reason on a deadline as opposed to having, you know, years and years to finish something that either may or may not be as enjoyable depending on uh, your uh, audience's reception of it for whatever reason. So, so are you, are you better with a deadline? I can be, you know, uh, I know definitely now that this fourth record that we're going to release in the summer's album, my system, I have a couple things that I've, didn't record that I've just started working on. I'm in the process of finalizing for it will be 
a release in 24, but I'm not going to say that, you know, on uh, June 12th or whatever, I'm going to still go into writing for a new record immediately because, <laughs> you know, that's just going to be, uh, I mean, I'm, unless you're King Gizzard, who uh, are one of my favorite groups, but at the same time, they just go at it too hard, even though I love them, but um <laughs> You know, so if you said to me, okay, you have to have a, a song by Christmas or whatever, or, uh, you know, three or four singles just to have something to prepare for the new year, I could easily have that for you. And there's pr probably uh, 30 to 40 things in my uh, composition portfolios that I've done over the years that if I ever needed something for uh, whatever reason, I could just reach into and the thing that would be interesting is uh, if I looked at a piece of music that I wrote in 2018 or 2015, there's definitely going to be something different uh, in how I wrote it as opposed to how I wrote it today, you know, so it'll, it's sort of interesting to see, um, you know, some artists might go back and, and pick up a song that they reserved for whatever reason, and then they just... Uh, because that they need to have something so you can just uh, use that. Um, so I would say it just depends on the uh, on the situation. I think the the worst thing to possibly do is to take an extended break. You know, I mean, even though it's a, a journey, it's much better to, you know, within the scope of reason, because you can't summon inspiration every day. I'm not like one of those people who can say I'm going to write at nine every morning or whatever, because. Yeah. But the other thing about going to college that was really good is I did a lot of composition courses. So I had to write on a deadline. And uh, so I, I would say I'm sort of used to something like that if I was in a position that if I have to have 10 songs for a record by X date, I could get a head start now and, uh, you know, have something uh, that uh, could hold up on its own. But it takes practice to get to that point. It's not like you're just going to be put in that situation and say, okay, you have to have X amount of songs by X amount of date. Good luck. And uh, just, uh, you know, cramming does not work in music, in my opinion. I also teach music. Well, I and think I tell my students, you cannot cram like the night before the final. No. You just squeak out with a D plus, and even though you shouldn't try to. Yeah. Well, you're on, anyway. Especially yeah, you're for you're on to a good point that I was just going to make like mm -hmm. something that you have to practice. You cannot cram in music. I mean, Me in playing and writing music, I teach music and uh, especially my younger students, I don't have to tell it with like the students I've gotten who are in their sixties, but I basically will tell them to get to whatever level of uh, technical expertise you're trying to achieve. You are not going to get it by, you know, practicing seven hours the night before the lesson or the audition <laughs> and you're just going to wake up and you're going to have skills to get you through this situation. You're going to have to at least put, uh, if not the 10,000 hour rule, I, even though you should aim for the 10,000 hour rule, you're going to have to aim for steady measured progress. Even if it's not cramming every day, if you put say three or four hours towards it, you do it every day, it adds up and then eventually you'll get there and it's, much more conducive than trying to cram the last couple of days or, or hours before, which would, and it's not going to be any good. You're not going to be lucky. <laughs> no. Well, you know, I, I mean, like you'd be lucky, but you're not going to, it's only going to carry you so far. I liken it to, um, I liken music to uh, athletics. Yes. Perfect. Um, and 
the one thing that I noticed, I was studying with, um, I studied with one of the, you know, a great jazz musician, um, a teacher uh, from Philadelphia and um, studied him for about five years. What's that? The Pat Martino? No, but he was like the same. It was uh, Joe Federico. Oh, okay. I studied with Pat. I did not study with Joe, unfortunately. And well, Joe, Joe Federico studied with Dennis Sandoli. So oh, Pat, yes. Pat Martino. So did Pat Martino. Yep. Um, but he Joe did. was, I think Joe lived with him. Like, I don't think, I can't say, I don't know, but I'm not sure how much, what Sandoli was doing, like how he was making money or whatever. Mm. But, um, so I'm not sure if he, how that, what a kind of arrangement, but Joe used to tell me about, um, you know, Dennis Sandoli lives with him and this and that. And, um, cause I always wanted to study with Sandoli, but Joe would not, Joe kept getting bent out of shape because I wanted to study with Sandoli. Mm-hmm. And, um, but my original endeavor was to study with Sandoli. Like that was my whole point of going in that direction, studying that kind of guitar. Mm-hmm. And, um, so my one mentor, like from this area from, um, I live in Lambertville. My one oh. mentor kept asking me, Oh, are you studying with Sandoli? I'm like, no, I'm still with Joe. <laughs> So this is like three years later. He's like, Oh, I thought you wanted to study with Dennis. I'm like, yes, I do. But you know, Joe is like, anyway, so not to, not to bash Joe, but um, (laughs) uh, he was great. He was great. Um, I I learned a lot from him, but what I noticed when I studied with him was it was about six months, like the simplest, seemed like seemingly simplest thing I was trying to do or trying to learn, um, you know, and you're over and over and over practicing over and over and over every, every day, every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and weeks go by and the month goes by and you're like, ah, I still don't have this down completely, you know, or where I want it. And then all of a sudden, boom, like six months later, the light goes on and it's like, Oh, I get it. Like, yeah. And all of a sudden you're like, you have it down. So I asked him, I said, well, what, why has it take me so long to get this? I said, it's so easy. Like I understand it now. He goes, oh, it takes about six months, you know, for you to understand concepts, um, you know, to really, you know, obviously, you know, different concepts, you know, are different rates. But for something that's maybe new, that's a little mechanically difficult, um, you know, it's going to take you a while to, to get into that and really um, and learn it. Like you're saying, you have to practice, practice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. Other things, maybe, you know, might be, you know conducive to how you play or how you think there's a might be easier concepts to grab. But, um, so that goes along with what you're saying, like the 10,000 hour rule. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, it's, I think the same thing, what we were talking about with songwriting, I think the same thing along the lines with songwriting, I was going to say, I think if you practice writing, a writing method, or come up with a method of your own and write consistently, even though maybe you don't even get a song out of it for the first week or month or whatever. Yeah. You might come up with ideas. Um, I mean, what I found is when I've tried this as I come up with, um, so you're talking about inspiration. So most of the time when I write a song, I'm hearing something. I'm like something pops into my head. And I'm like, oh, I got to, you know, so I have, I have this and I'll, I'll sing it 
yeah, tap yeah, it out, yeah. whatever. And those, those are my ideas. And, you know, a lot of ideas on there. They don't all make it to a song, but they're, you know, cataloged in here by date or like chronologically. Um, but um, I, I have found that maybe a year later or two years later, I'm on like I'm on right right now. I'm on to something I may have come up with five years ago. I was like, this sounds familiar. Like, sounds a lot like this other idea I had. And I go back to the idea, and it's like the same idea. So, um, I'm not sure what to make at that point. But that's all that <laughs> that you're repeated that I'm repeat repeating. I think we do have themes. So, mm-hmm. I worked with an A and R guy about five years ago. Okay. Um, and we were working on music. I was working on this method. Like he, I, I never wrote short songs. Like I always wrote four minutes, four and a half minute songs, five minute okay. songs. Hmm. He's like, Oh man, you know, you got to get this down to three and three minutes, three and a half minutes. I'm like, ah, I maybe a couple of songs I can, but, um, he's it's like, Oh, well, that's what we're going to work on. So we work on it and I played about five songs for him. He's like, you know, it sounds like you keep writing the same song. I'm like, what? Like the lyrics yeah. are different. The chord changes are, I'm like, these chord changes are totally different. How can you say that? But then I started to get a little better feel for what he was talking about. I'm like, Oh, I think I get it. So, um, yeah, song structure is a very, I, I think what he might've meant also is, uh, I mean, the, the part of the the trouble that I think we've all got is there's only so many different cadences to use that term in music of where the chord is going to resolve um and no matter how you refute it or you used to use substitutions for whatever reason sooner or later there's almost a, a certainty that something's going to be recycled from a previous work it's just a matter of how uh well, disguise what you're working on from your previous work part part of it might be that you know we all have certain foundations mm-hmm. And we like music for whatever reason that we like personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might agree on things, but I think it's whatever drives you to listen to certain types of music in the first place and gravitate towards playing certain types of music. I think that's, that's what he was getting at. And um, so, so you, you always have that, this, um, it could be a universal theme. Right. Um, but you always have these groundings, you know, um, of things that, you know, like I said, your foundation, things that you stand on. And I think that that's what he was getting at. Like he couldn't articulate what it was, but, um, and I told him, like took him through the songs and I'm like, no, this is not, this is a different kind of chord change. It's a different key. Melody is different. Yeah. But but there was I could understand what he was saying, like a style, maybe a styling. I may have had a styling that um the way I was singing it or whatever. So I've tried I tried to work on that and I did get closer to a three minute song. I've been working on that for the past few years. Three and a half minutes. I'll still squeeze out four minutes, but depending on the tempo, um I try to avoid that. And why? Because <laughs> I want my music to be used for like um, sync placements, like commercials, like TV commercials, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, and, and like what we were talking about before was I find myself getting more poppy, like more pop, um, 
more pop targeted, you know, where um, it's probably not something that I would have written three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm like zeroing in on certain things. And, um, and I think, I think I'm better. I think I'm writing better music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm certainly doing, I'm certainly more productive. Um, so I, I think like writing a three minute song, having two verses versus instead of three verses or four verses, you know, you get into Dylan territory. Oh yeah. Uh, Dylan, right. I mean, so is that's even an equivalent to Bob Dylan. Like, I mean, I guess it may be Kurt Vile or uh, somebody like that could sort of uh, fill that void a little bit today because uh, Kurt Vile's last record has a few songs that stretch out a little into like six, seven minute territory or something <laughs> like that. Well, not that you can't yeah. do it, but I it's mean, not going to sell unless you've got a good platform already that you can. Uh, yeah. You that. still need those, you know, virtually viable. Um, you know, palatable Although, uh, songs. Yeah, what well, we were actually discussing uh, what our next single is going to be. So like uh, I sent you earlier this uh, last couple of weeks, I sent you our single for January and I sent you our one that we just put out a couple of days ago and we're talking about a June single because uh, like we're pretty much spacing each one out by 80 days or something like that. And they're saying, oh, we should have this track. And I'm going, uh, it's about six and a half minutes long and it's in seven. Uh, and there's so what's other- the um what's the name of the song that's going to come the out? Final track of the record. The album is going to be called Gemini Rain, and uh, uh, there's a couple of other songs that I have as candidates that are in that you know sweet spot, either three minute or three and a half minute. Like it's not going to go on too long. It's not going to have anything that's too um, experimental in terms of uh, musical complexity, really, like Odd Time or uh, any like weird modes or anything like that it's um but then again you know we can always say we'll put this one out then and then we'll release this for like the tail end of summer or something like that although i mean this is a question do bands still do singles after the album's put out or do they just put out all the singles before the record drops and then it's all good question this one because i think i was thinking about that Good. Okay. This is something um, that we can learn something off of. <laughs> well, I don't, I can't see, I can't see a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, somebody might say, like, I'm working, I've been um, in a few sessions with an A&R person, and I think I took a workshop with them. I forget what you call it. I've done all these things. You do webinars and you do... Mm-hmm these conferences. So I have no idea what we want to call that. So I'll say workshop. Right. And um, she worked, work, um, I think she's still a consultant, but I'm not sure. She worked with like some of the top names in the industry. Like if you can think of some of the top artists right now, she probably mm-hmm. worked with them. She probably mentioned them. Um, I think her thing was release all your singles before the album is out. Yeah. Culminate with culminate that period um, with the album. Right. Because I think if you put the album out and then you release a single. It's anticlimactic. Yeah. Like you, how do you buzz that? You know, how has that become a buzz? It's like, oh, um, because people can, because people can um, just go to this, you know, 
Spotify and listen to your album and hear that song. So true. Yeah. So now one thing, one thing that she did say is if you did an alternative mix, ah, that's okay. a way to do it. Yeah. That would yep. be a way to do it. Noted. Okay. Yeah. And that's so, I, cause I'm investigating, I'm thinking about that myself. So now what I did, cause I was going to release three songs and then release my album, full album. So it's generally recommended to go four to six weeks between songs, between releases. Yeah. And, you know, I um, hope she doesn't get mad if she ever catches this and I'm giving away <laughs> this information. But um, it's like three three weeks lead up to it and three weeks after. Mm-hmm. Or if you're doing four weeks, then before the first one, you're doing like three weeks leading up to the release. The yeah. release or two weeks before, I don't know, something like that, some kind of. Yeah, I've read similar antidotes like that. that But then after two weeks, now you're prepping the next release. So Mm -hmm. you only have two weeks left of that after the release. Now you're doing the third week, you're going to do the first of the two weeks prior to the next release. And Well, one thing that's sort of uh, been cool for us is the single that we put out in January, Overcoming His... uh, become a bit of a, a classic dare I say because it, not it also got to the number one radio station in Australia that I was telling you about earlier but it also got a lot of countries that we haven't been played at like Japan finally got, got a hold of us we also got a lot of stations in the UK and uh, various parts of Europe uh, also more radio attraction around uh, this area as well so, so it was sort of at the point where it's like okay let's just wait before we release a single so we can really promote this and give it its uh exposure that it requires because it really did uh take us a bit by surprise because uh that's an example of a song that i've uh held on to for about three years and uh, we didn't release it uh, just for various reasons yeah. and uh um, well i'm glad i reserved it in hindsight you know because uh that's i like a- i like the song thank you yeah um, I'll definitely give it give it some more listens. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I'll give you a little backstory on that. So that I wrote during 2020 during the this is this is overcoming right. That's correct. Yeah, okay. so I wrote it uh, originally the same time I wrote this other song called Memories Made, which is on our second record again, which is the first time that uh, Sarah, our vocalist, and I had ever collaborated on something together. And it was when we were getting the album together out of the, the ether. Uh, I thought that they seemed a little too similar in approach, even though they're in different keys, but it sort of ties into that uh, saying that you had earlier of these songs might be the same to uh, you know a certain degree. Even though I, 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 I would say just listen to those two back to back, they're going to have slight differences. And I have a friend uh, who I hung out with a lot during those lockdowns and still do, who uh, was saying, nah, you got to hold on to this song. Uh, and then when Sarah went off to college for a year, uh, I still had the song. And in the, that iteration of SRG, we, uh, we tried it out in rehearsals, but he said, no, nah, just wait for the right singer to sing it. And when she came back about June of last year, since she had some familiarity with it, we reintroduced it. And uh, it was a good way to like uh, reacquaint everybody. Cause like uh, the, the drummer that we've had is now been the same for the two years. And Jacob, my, former student who assisted us in the early 2019 phases is now a full member, uh, promoted full-time member anyway. So um, that is a sort of another example of what I was saying earlier of when I was uh, 
talking about songs I've written in the past and seeing how they compare and contrast to how I might write something today because um when was this song written uh 2020 2020 okay. uh, yeah I think I wrote it in like July or something like that and it was just sitting in the uh composition portfolio like I had the lyrics I had the the phone recording and I had the, like the lead sheet of it and uh, it was just okay let's see if it's ready and it's like nah let's just wait and then it's like okay let's to see if we can finally record it and uh, the rest is history in that sense well you never know you don't know and this is gets back to that point the a side and the b side and the romantics their biggest hit was a b-side song yeah um and um you know, the gurus at the record company didn't pick that song and that became their biggest hit. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know what people, what's going to stick. We don't know what people yeah. are going to like or gravitate to. Yeah. When I perform, I had, I've had people come up to me and ask me for older songs when I'm playing newer songs. Yeah. And I think my newer songs are so much better. And they're like, Oh, I like the one song. And I'm like, Oh, which song is that? I'm like the third song. I'm like, Oh, in the first set, oh, uh, I'm trying to think, song. you know, yeah. I'm like, oh, that song? They're like, yeah. <laughs> like, I just threw that in this night, you know? Mm. They're like, no, no, I like that. It's from the album, like from my album. I only have one album. But, um, you know, our, like I was saying, like the musician um, versus the, the listener, um, you know, you can't worry about guessing what people like. You just write. Yeah. And, you know, it's just going to, um, connect at some level, which we can't. We can we feel it yeah. when we're writing. We yeah. feel that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't guarantee. Like you were holding on. Oh, you guys, you got to hold on to it. Well, you can't hold on to it. You know, you're better just put it out in the world. Why? Because even if that becomes a big hit for you. Um, you're probably going to write something even more, um, even, even just as, just as, um, likable, just as, um, connecting as that song is for your fans. Right. And, um, so I learned, you know, I learned like, okay, cause I had, I had songs in reserve. I'm like, no, this is going on this album and I'm doing six albums. <laughs> over six years and this is what I'm doing. And now I find myself, it's like, okay, well I didn't do my albums after my first album. So now I'm like really scrambling cause I have new music. So, um, so it's like, you know what? I, I'm just going to go with my gut and this is how I'm going to do it. So I have a different plan than my original plan. And, um, it's going to include some older music. Um, but it's it's music like so what you do is you go out right you perform live right yes yeah so you get to gauge we gig about 150 times a year so we get it around quite a lot so you get to gauge how your songs um play out um for different audiences yeah it's so and it's also like when the originals uh occasionally i will introduce it but more often than not because you know that um as I'm sure we all know, most people are generally not going out to see a band play original material. They just want to hear covers, essentially, especially yeah. playing in bars, which uh, 
we do our, our share of, uh, I think if we go through our uh, set list right now, it's probably about 50-50, uh, maybe like 45% original material, 55% covers, just because that's what... Um, oh, sure. A, it, we have to make sure we're playing our uh, most, uh, dare I say, commercial material live uh, to a certain extent and things that aren't too uh, overdone with studio work. And uh, there's also the thing about when you will, when you announce that you're playing an original, you're sort of, it's a bit like you're trying to get people to listen to it as opposed to when you just play it and people react a certain way or don't react a certain way, you, you can really tell what's going to stick with them or not. And occasionally you can, I might say that was original from our latest single or whatever, just to uh, give it a little continuity. But it's uh, something that um, you sort of learn from experience. Like uh, I'll see a lot of uh, like younger musicians who are up and coming, who they still haven't really worked out how to talk with an audience or uh, how much to talk or how much not to talk sometimes because you don't want to have long in between the song uh statements about uh how the song was written or you know trivial things no one's going to care about really most of nobody anyhow also it's just the other thing of like when you see an artist like I i've seen some artists perform who are well known and okay they can do what they want but it's like seriously after four minutes of having some long speech in between the song it's like bored <laughs> So yeah, well, they, they get to, they get to the, the difference between them and us, you know, an established artist, um, um, successful and they have some success. They're, you know, selling tickets. Um, they're popular. Um, they have an audience, True. but their audience is coming to see them. True. They, they have a relationship with their well, audience. I've seen some people who don't quite have that stage yet and they're doing that and it's like, Right. So for you and I, we can't, we don't have the luxury of. You know, it's just nice to say, like, I have a nice, uh, you know, couple of seconds after before the song, you go, thank you very much. This next one, have a little couple of words in between and then go into the song, uh, yeah. the title a little bit, and then let the music do the talking. I always um, want to keep playing. Like, I came, I come from a background of um, playing rock like top 40 rock early mm -hmm. on and the thing was when you went into a club you didn't want people to leave the dance floor mm -hmm. you want them out dancing once you get them out there you don't want them to leave the dance floor right oh, so you yeah. keep you keep the Gotta music keep going. going yeah yeah <laughs> um so that was one of the things so i i always feel like that no matter what i'm doing um and and I, I really never wanted to be the front person, but I ended up having to be. Um, I didn't sing. I took, you know, I was in college and I took a vo vocal class and that's how I learned how to sing. Mm -hmm. uh, before that, I was just filling in songs here and there to help the um, lead singer. Yes, same situation here. So um, I never, you know, I, I'm not like the greatest front person. <laughs> So, I mean, I do what I, I do what I can. Um, but you know, I see artists, they'll go out, they're very popular. They don't say anything. They hardly say anything. The whole, they just play. Yeah. It's like the dead will just, uh, play and that's kind of where I came from. I mean, I, I watched 
grew up watching bands like that mostly. Um, you don't have this grandiose stage stage act, you know. You're just out there playing music, you know, um, like Allman Brothers. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was about the music. It wasn't about the shit stage show, or nobody could yeah. give a damn. But um, yeah, no. I just brought up an interesting point um, about dancing, and mm-hmm. I talked last week with someone else about that. So dance has changed. So like for you, you play indie music. Um, I kind of play this rock pop. I want to call it indie. I'm not sure where it falls, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I consider myself an indie musician, but um, I, you know, my thing, like I just mentioned, like my thing is like um, dance oriented, sort of like, I don't know how to describe it. A groove. It has a groove to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so one of my friends mentioned, the last time that I saw her and we, we both played this benefit um, that people were dancing to my original music. Like they never heard it. Most of them never heard my music before. There were some people that did that were in the audience, but people were dancing and they're like singing along to some of the couple of the songs, like even brand new songs that they never heard because the hook was easy to remember. You know, it wasn't a hard hook to sing. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said, you know, oh, you have people dancing to your music. I'm like, yeah, I, 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 that happens when I play solo. She's like, oh. So, I mean, that's something I was talking to the, my last, in the last episode. Um, it could happen before, but I don't remember <laughs> that I talked about it. But I think that's one, one big thing that's changed in the last, um, so what, since like, well, grunge sort of had people, the mosh pit and had dancing different kind of dance but i mean like hip-hop being you know a very influential art form music form that's you know is is uh very pervasive it's in everything like commercial tv commercials tv shows um commercial or radio commercials whatever you're listening to streaming mm-hmm um, and yes, yes, of course, there's indie music. There's all kinds of music, rock music. But I mean, like hip hop has a very big impact, but had an impact on the dance, like how people danced, you know, over the last 30 years. And I think that has an impact on today's music too. Like for, is there like, do people actually dance to, I mean, if they hear a blues song, they'll dance to it um, or a rock song, you'll, you know. But I mean, like this in-between stuff that you or I might do, like to how do people, do they know how, well, you know? Oh, we have a couple songs that are in uh, <laughs> odd times that we've seen people dance to, whether they know it or not. So it's just, uh, you know, it's like if they can feel the the beat or whatever, they'll just do whatever they want. And uh, yeah, meanwhile, like we'll be playing the song, it's like in five or whatever. And uh, it's like, <laughs> do they know? So, you know, yeah. it's sort of like a I good... Think- uh, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking. I'm kind of thinking that it's a disadvantage for us because you know people don't go out. You say people don't go out to see originals. Well, they don't really go out to see that that kind of music. Um, I'm, I have I have some music that you know will probably fit in mainstream, but I tried not to write that exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's just food for thought. I mean. Right. Um, that, so that was just an observation that I made. Right. And I think that impacts. So 
if you go to a club and people don't know the don't know your music, well, then they might not dance to it because they don't know what to expect. Um, whereas if you play covers, they're going to be out dancing or singing along or whatever. So it's easier. It's much easier to sell that. You know what I mean? Yes. So, so you did kind of mention that your albums, you did different things on different albums, your four albums and that your personnel changed. Yes. Personnel changed three times. Uh, So how do you feel like from your first release to where you are now? Um, You did mention a little bit about that, but. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you can take a look at some groups like King Crimson didn't have a steady lineup for their first uh, five years. Because like from In the Court through to Red from 69 to 74, the only person left is Robert Fripp through all those lineups there. Every record is has a different personnel, like either there's one member that might have stayed on from the previous record or especially for the last three, it just whittles down from a quintet to a quartet and then he... Uh, Red Bennett's works and just disbanded it there. Uh, same thing can also apply with Jethro Tull in the sense that their first uh, five years, each uh, record from stand up to no, this was, pardon me, to Thick as a Brick has a slightly different lineup. Members came and go, and then they did have a steady couple of years from about 71 to 75. So I think the lineup change has been something that has. Uh, it's actually helped me as a writer a little bit because I think with the changing of personnel, I've been able to uh, tailor my writing to uh, not just uh, make myself uh, enjoy what I'm writing, but to make the other people uh, enjoy what I'm putting together as well. Cause I think uh, if you're writing music, obviously sooner or later, you're going to have to just stop writing for yourself and try to bounce it off around some other people. And the first logical candidates to do that are going to be the people that you play with. So uh, even though, um, you know, hopefully this lineup will have at least uh, several records where we have a continuation, because I think there's definitely a good unit cohesion. You know, we're all in it for uh, more or less the same reason, which is just to play music, be, uh, you know, professionals and a certain sense of the word and uh, mainly be associated with writing uh, original material because we love doing the covers. and We have a few things that uh, we really enjoy doing, but we also uh want to do our own thing which is what most artists do i guess uh so lineup changes uh doesn't really uh throw a wrench into the work i just sort of think of it as uh, like a way for reinvention because you know it's i technically have the name i guess so i can uh, <laughs> do what i want with it so uh you know if uh, something was to change in uh four years time or whatever i'd probably just look at it as a, a way to reshape things and uh, revitalize so uh, it wasn't something that was going to affect things in a massive way. So you 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 write the songs. Yes. Um, now what what's your instrumentation or what do you play? Uh, guitar. So I, I do guitar. I do all the guitars and I do the the male vocals, obviously. And uh, for the first three albums, just because the first record we were doing. Um, it was like one instrument at a time. Uh, I did bass for that. For the second record we did in 2020, obviously it was all virtual, so I did bass on that as well. Third record uh, was almost all uh, bass. We had a temporary bass player who uh, we had asked to leave just for various reasons that uh, went for the 
seven tracks he was on that record for. Uh, it was basically a power trio live. And the first three tracks before he came in was our drummer Brian and I playing live. And I did bass on those tracks. This record is uh, pretty much, if I go through it correctly, I do all the guitars. I do six vo lead vocals, a few backings here and there, keyboards. Uh, I did two bass tracks just because uh, our current bass player, Jacob, wasn't fully reinstated as a member yet. And we'd start recording the record um, just before he was uh, like made a full member. So I was just doing bass to uh, efficiency's sake. Plus, uh, I enjoy doing that to a certain extent. And I also played a instrument called the bazooki for one track just because it has a different uh, sound on it that I'm not that I'm not going to get with my other guitars mainly. And uh, that, that's basically the only person, people who really play anything other instrument wise is uh, bass for Jacob and drums for Brian. Because even though I apparently started with drums a long time ago and I enjoy uh, just drumming for the sake of it, it's something that I'm really not going to uh, market myself as like something that I can teach or play. Because uh, so, so you, know. you, you, you produce the music too, yes. right? You're the producer. Yep. And then, so um, do you record yourself? Uh, well, recordings or, uh, I mean, I should, or do you track somewhere else? Yeah, we track at a studio on the south side of Bethlehem called uh, Shard Studio. Uh, this is the first time we've worked with uh, the the studio, just because our producer for our first three records uh, went back to school and is for the foreseeable future temporarily temporarily unavailable. But uh, then again, I think the change in location was sort of uh, reinvigorating to a certain extent, even though we always had a good rapport and each record uh, got better and better as far as uh, what we put out. It's just uh, occasionally a change can be revitalizing. Sort of like that whole lineup change that I was uh, uh, hinting at a while back. So um, we recorded that uh, there. We finished it a couple weeks ago and uh, we just have about I think four more songs to do. And uh, then I th think, you know, definitely a June single, but it, the album will probably be released sometime uh, since we've discussed it, like late June or early July, because each single has to have its uh, promotion time. And <laughs> when you drop the album, it is climactic, but then it's anticlimactic right away. Because it's sort of like, uh, what do you have now? Because like you were saying earlier, they can just go on and stream it. And uh, it does take a bit of the, um, anticipation out of having a new song but since our last record came out in june you know i wouldn't want to release a record like exactly on june 9th or whenever the last record came out i think it was june 15th but um you know two so your weeks next, your your next release is going to be in june yeah i think give it two three weeks to expedite it because the last single came out on april fool's day so we give it it's uh two months eight weeks of promotion and uh and uh, just dropped the new single, and uh, it's it's a busy summer. Like I said, we gig pretty hard, but this summer we've got a lot of uh, pretty cool areas, like Music Fest. We're going to be playing at. Uh, we're going to be, and we have two things there this year, and uh, a variety of venues, pretty much all the way from the Poconos towards down to, towards Philly. So it's literally all over the uh, southeastern quadrant of PA. You know, so, so we're, we're going to be at Five Maidens. Yes, we are. We're going to be there April 21st, April 21st, five main cider, just five minutes away from where I live. Funny enough. So good continuity there. And, and you know, we can, we can find, we can find this information on the web. 
on web, on Facebook, on Instagram. We always post all of our things weekly. So you all have a, a wide window of opportunity to catch us at uh, any one of these venues. And uh, literally it's here, there and everywhere. Cause uh, you know, for this Friday, we're going to be up at the Poconos and um, Saturday we're going down to Southampton. And, and then where's your, um, where are you based out of? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Okay. Bethlehem, PA. Um, and we can find you as a smooth retina glow.com. Correct. That's right. And then for, how about your social media? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, Apple, and iTunes. You know, and we mean, just look up uh, smooth retina glow. Yep. Yeah. Just okay. type it all in and, uh, you know, it's like what we have the, I think we found the, all the programs that are the most effective and work right now. You know, I mean, one member wants to get a TikTok, and it's like, what do we upload on that? That gives it continuity. Cause I also teach. Uh, and when I first saw the concept of TikTok, it's like, can you get any lower than this? And <laughs> then again, I have people say, Oh no, you need to get TikTok. It's so good. Yeah. Um, 30 uh, seconds, you know, grab, don't put your whole song up, right? Okay. Just 30 seconds. Do um, what you want to feature. So it could be the chorus. Okay. And, um, or something interesting into the chorus or after the chorus or something. All right. Or if there's an instrumental or whatever. I mean, um, but you have 30 seconds. But just okay. do something that will that you feel will want people to hear more, you know? Okay. And Enough. that's not easy to do. <laughs> yeah. Our, our one member... Uh, Jacob is probably a bit more savvy on that sort of end than I am. So I will ask him and it's like, I'll give you the keys to that kingdom, but <laughs> you must approve whatever you post before you do it. <laughs> now I listened to your, I listened to overcoming on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you did, you did the video too, uh, video too, right? Yeah. Good fun. That was. Yeah. So did you, were you in charge of that too? Like the, um, yeah, our videographer, uh, David Tulin, uh, who we've done our video for memories made and just about every video, except for our very first one back in 2019, we had a different videographer with a slightly older lineup of the group. And, uh, what he did was he took us out to Bear Creek resort. I think this was somewhere in like early January and it was a really good uh, venue for shooting it because there was a lot of space to work with and they were very generous in letting us shoot the video there and uh, we could, you know, go to the arcade or we played in that ballroom where I had to do that one uh, shot in the video where I sing the bridge and they're just like slowly pulling the camera out and it's like I'm in the stairwell but so this guy in a way was kind of making up a little bit as he went along but that, that was a bit of the fun of it and uh, I think it looks I, I think it was um, interesting the video yeah he had us there for a long time it's like it's almost six o'clock I want to go home <laughs> you don't have these like I watch some videos sometimes and they're just like um, doesn't seem to be interconnected or it seems to be somewhat predictable or yeah. like you've seen it before, mm -hmm. right, so but you yeah. could have something like that, that maybe you've seen before, but you, it's just a little different, um, a little refresher, you know, a little fresher in your take, you know? Yeah. So, and I can't, you know, I'm not offering advice, but I'm just an opinion because yeah, uh, I mean, we, we, I'm not we, a video guy. So <laughs> yeah. Also one thing, uh, is it your opinion that uh, if a music video is switching a scenes too quickly like it deviates from the uh, side of the music at all what's that 
like uh, let's say I, I think one thing about music videos back in the day is they didn't seem to change scenes quite as much or camera angles or whatever is it your opinion that if a music videographer does that it's more of a hindrance than a distraction but yeah, more- my okay. my wife and i it depends though like it depends on how it's done right mm-hmm. my wife and i were watching a video and i can't remember the name can't remember the band I can't remember if it was uh, somebody that I know. They just put out a video. Right. But they were switching. It was going so fast. And, you know, the wardrobe changed. And, you know, right. I'm like, what What are they trying to do? Like, I don't, it, like, that takes away from the song. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, That's you're not point. listening. You're kind of disturbed with this imagery. Um, you're point. confused, you know? Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. But now, could it work? Yeah, I suppose it could work if you get the right person doing it. Like, um, or don't do it for the whole video. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. know, do do a like a montage is maybe what you're, in a way, what you're thinking where you're flashing, like in a TV show. Yeah, they're doing like a retrospect, and they're somebody's having a memory or something, or they broke up, and they're like going through all the scenes in their head about the restaurant and the you know park and this and that. So it depends on how it's done, right? So um so I, I think it could work, but some some videos that I've seen I don't like. Like they're not for me. But maybe they're maybe again, maybe they're for somebody else. But um I think if in general, I guess what you're saying too, maybe you're getting along the lines of getting opinions. If um, if you get enough opinions, a few opinions that are saying don't like it, then then you probably have a trend. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the sun is like blasting in on me now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do have a session I have to go to for yeah. a friend of mine in a little bit, unfortunately. But uh, you know, yeah. very enjoyable uh, conversation. Well, I went a little long on the one topic, which I didn't want to do, but it's okay. Intend you know. to do, but um. It's not we'll to, far away, you know, so, and this guy I have a good rapport with, so I can basically just say, uh, hey, I had an interview, went a little <laughs> longer, and besides, I've got all night to cut this guitar solo for uh, uh, what you want. All right, so we um, we uh, put your release, next release, um, general date out there for June. And yeah, June. The social media. Yep. And anything else that you might want to say to your fans who might be listening or to potential fans. Yeah. Uh, fans, uh, either current or future of smooth Retina glow, stay tuned for what is sure to be our best, uh, release yet our best music and, uh, come out to the shows and just see for yourself as each concert gets better and better. The group gets tighter and tighter and the writing, um, continues to up its game in various ways. So, uh, see you soon and, uh, keep tuned for what has uh, been a very enjoyable ride this year. And we'll hopefully keep going for a very good long while yet to come. Awesome, man. Well, I right, awesome. look forward to, to hearing you guys live and, um, getting out to see you at some point and, uh, good luck and uh, look forward to hearing your new release. Yeah. Awesome. And thanks again for coming on. Awesome. Mine. Have a great evening. All right. Thank you. For more information about Colin Wolf and Smooth Retsina Glow, you can search for Smooth Retsina Glow on the web 
and on all social media. For more information about Pat Foran, you can look up Pat Foran Music on the web or go to patforanmusic.com. You can find me on Instagram, pat.foran, and also on Facebook. Thanks for listening to Get Labeled Indie Music Roadmap with Pat Foran.